Hello and welcome to The Wellness Project, powered by Spotlight Coalition. I'm your host, Des, and you are listening to episode number 80. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a very powerful episode for you today. I interview Amanda Acker. Now, I do want to put a trigger warning here for sexual assault and domestic violence. Amanda speaks with me about all that she's been through. She talks about her experiences with addiction, domestic violence, other kinds of abuse, dealing with low self-esteem, issues with her self-worth, looking for acceptance and validation, as well as being arrested. Amanda has been through a lot, but the powerful aspect of this story is how she managed to take control of her life and turn her life around, and now she is living a life that she loves. This episode, like I said, is powerful. It's one you don't want to miss. It's so inspiring. I think we could all learn a lot from Amanda, and I really appreciate her being so open in this interview. I think it is going to be so valuable for you to hear. So I will not delay any longer. Let's speak with Amanda and hear her powerful story. Everyone, I am here with Amanda Acker. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today. So as um, we get started, can you just give us an introduction to who you are, the things you've been through, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So my story is pretty involved. So to not keep us here all day, I'll try my best to to keep it short and sweet. But, um, you know, I'll start with like what I do now. So now my life is completely different than what it was. I'm happily married Uh, I have two wonderful children. My son's actually going to be 16 tomorrow at the time of our recording. But prior to now, you know, my life was pretty dark. Uh, At the age of 15, my parents divorced and that put it in my mind that I didn't deserve love. I wasn't good enough. It started a lot of confusion in my brain as to how to essentially be an adult. Um, so in that teenage years, I really needed my mom and she wasn't there. She was going through her own stuff, a very abusive relationship. I saw my mom leave and go back to someone who put her in the hospital and literally, uh, tried to kill her multiple times. That was very hard for me to comprehend at that age. So, Going into college, I had already been smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, being promiscuous, all the things, just trying to be accepted, trying to find love in all the wrong places because I had been abandoned by my mom. And I don't blame her for it. I know why she left. She didn't want me to get hurt by this man either. But with my dad, you know, me and him, like growing up, he wasn't, he was in our lives, but he wasn't emotionally in our lives. So it was very hard for him looking back to handle me. I was an emotional basket case. Most of the times, you know, I ran away to try and get his attention. And then when I went to college, I found the wonderful world of frat parties and I just started partying all the time. I mean, so much so that I wasn't going to class And I was very smart. Uh, I was a straight A student, but I was just failing miserably. And it was more because I couldn't figure out how to be comfortable in my own skin. I was still looking for outside acceptance. And so I had a friend who introduced me to benzodiazepines, which uh, for those of you who may not know what those are, those are things like Clonopin, Xanax, things like that, those types of anti-anxiety medications. And whenever I 
didn't swallow them. We were snorting them. And it was like the answer to all of my prayers. I no longer felt sad. I no longer felt alone. I felt like I could take over the world. Literally. I remember even saying that to people. I just feel like I can take over the world. This is perfect. Uh, but the first time I did pills, I overdosed because I didn't know what I was doing. And if it wasn't for the guy who uh, was with me, I would be dead. I would not be here right now. It was a cry for help now looking back, but my dad, when I told him, didn't care. So I completely failed out of college. I lasted one year. I found myself pregnant at age 19 to a man who was sexually abusive. So I didn't know what to do about pregnancy, but at the time I could not go through with an abortion. So I gave her up for adoption and I was very young and that really was something very emotional that at that age, not having anyone, I didn't have my mom at the time, really like she was there, but not my dad was obviously not in the picture anymore. And I just, I had no one to really lean on besides for who I thought were my friends who, you know, just fed me drugs and alcohol and the partying. And I ended up in an extremely abusive relationship. Long story short, I ended up leaving him. I had my son with him, which was a blessing. I'll never forget. Someone asked me just yesterday, what's a memory that if you had to erase all of your memories from existence, what's one memory that you would hold on to? And I said, the birth of my son. Yes, I've had other children, but my son, he was like in that moment of abuse and turmoil. He was my saving grace. He was my safe place. I just wanted to be the best mom. But unfortunately, that feeling didn't last. I ended up leaving his dad and getting into cocaine. And then eventually I wound up at a strip club where I met an older man who promised me a good job and said that he had like all this money. He was going to pay me this, that, and the other. So I was like, okay, yeah, of course, because I'm broke and I'm addicted to cocaine. I don't have a job. So if I don't want to be homeless, this sounds like a great option. So I went for it, but that's not what he wanted. I found out the hard way after he sexually assaulted me that he was paying me to have sex with him. And essentially he was grooming me to be a prostitute. And I didn't realize that until more recently in my life, like when I was telling the story and then I was hearing stories of other women who had been trafficked. That's when it clicked what was actually happening to me all those years ago. Still in my early 20s, he sexually assaulted me tell my friend what happened. And we decided it would be a great idea to go back together because what's the worst that could happen? Uh, he, you know, was very angry with us because we wouldn't do anything sexual with him. A while after that occurred, we were broke, uh, about to be kicked out of our apartment. Uh, I was, I was a horrible mom. I did not prioritize my son, my saving grace. I allowed him to be raised by my abuser, his dad. And, you know, we had this idea to rob this man because of the horrible things he had done. He deserved it, right? And we knew that he had money. Well, we involved three other people. And I remember driving out to his place to rob him, essentially. And I'm driving my car. And I look over at my friend. And I said, we're going to jail. I don't want to do this. She said, F this. I'll just drive. So here I am, 20-some years old. I get off the highway, I get out of the car, I don't leave the scene, I don't do anything, I get back in the car and allow her to drive. So we get there and uh, eventually I couldn't handle it, so I left the situation, go to my car crying my eyes out, 
And all of a sudden I'm being ambushed by everyone else. The robbery had happened. I'm laying in the backseat of my car crying. It's very hot out. I'm sweating profusely. And we didn't even get out of the parking lot. And here I am, this goody two-shoes, never even had detention. You know, I was trying so hard to be loved and accepted that I allowed this to happen. I'm being pulled over at gunpoint on one of the busiest streets in the city. So it's like a street, it's like a highway, but there's businesses on either side. So we're pulled over. All I can just see these families coming out from the restaurants on the other side, just watching this unfold. At gunpoint, they arrest me, and then I'm face down on the pavement, and my only thought was, I was supposed to pick up none. So eventually, I get told that if I tell the truth, I'm not going to jail. So I thought, oh, that sounds like a great idea, right? I'm not going to go to jail, so I'm going to tell the truth. But looking back, I know now that that probably wasn't the best choice in the moment because I did not not go to jail. I went to jail with everyone else uh, and had a $10,000 straight bond. I was charged with robbery, criminal conspiracy, and prostitution. I watch all of the other co-conspirators get bailed out. I'm the only one stuck in jail because I don't have anyone who can bail me out. And on top of that, all of them know that I essentially, what we like to call it, I narked, right? I told the truth. I told the cops everything. Not only did I verbally tell them, I wrote it all down. So now they have a piece of paper with my handwriting on it that shows that I did this. So after a week, I get out. This was a pivotal point in my life, a dark pivotal point in my life, because when you're in between, for those of you who don't know about getting arrested and then eventually getting sentenced, there's like a whole year of your life where you just don't know what's going to happen. So I ended up making some very poor choices. I was a stripper. I saw a lot of dark things in that those moments. Eventually, I find myself pregnant again to a man who wasn't the best option either. Uh, he was a client from the strip club I was working at. So I get sentenced to one to two years in county jail with option for work release. I watched my best friend at the time go to state prison for five years. I watched everyone else go to state prison for five years because in my mind, it was my fault because if I wouldn't have told the truth and we would have made up some sort of story that maybe none of us would have went to jail at all. So I'm pregnant in jail and eventually, you know, I give birth to her, gave her up for adoption to the same family my first daughter was with. So they're actual sisters. And that was like one of my things. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want them to be together. It was one of the hard, it was harder the second time than it was the first time. Um, and after I get released from jail, which is probably like a week, not even a week after I gave birth to my daughter, I thought that was going to be it. I was going to turn my life around, but it just kept being the same cycle of toxic relationships, drug use, uh, alcoholism, like you name it. I just wasn't, I never felt good enough. I always felt like I didn't deserve good things. And to top it off, now I'm a convicted felon. So what good am I to anyone? What can I actually do in the world that's going to make a difference? So I beat myself up and I lived in the shame spiral where, you know, I would get jobs. They were good jobs, but they never asked if I had a criminal background. It was like one of those jobs where you just give them your resume and they interview you and decide. Uh, so I never told. So I lived this life of, okay, today's the day that they're going to find out and I'm going to lose everything. So I just constantly hid this truth hid who I really was until about three years ago. I had lost a job 
that I thought was my dream job. I thought I had made a friend there, all of these things. And I was betrayed. I lose this job. And I remember sitting in my closet and I'm so sad. I'm crying hysterically. I'm by myself yet again. Here I am again, crying my eyes out by myself at rock bottom because I can't handle life. And I was like, I'm just not going to live anymore then. I'm done. And I was about to give up. I don't want to call it a spiritual awakening, but maybe that is what some would call it. But it was like this warmth that rushed over me. And I had the thought of, well, no, you need to keep fighting for your life, not just for yourself, but for your family, your kids, your husband, people who are here for you. And you need to ask for help and figure out why you keep repeating these cycles and stop being the victim. Because I made those choices. No one, you know, made me go and rob someone. No one, yeah, maybe I felt the pressure to do it, but it was ultimately my choice. All of these things at the end of the day were my choice to be in those situations. So that was my final rock bottom. And that's what, you know, in asking for help from my husband and really looking at me and figuring out who am I? I never did that. I always just was who everyone wanted me to be in any situation. I never had any identity of my own. Uh, I was either trying to be the cool kid or I was trying to be, you know, the slutty girl because that's what the boys want. You know, whatever it was that I thought would get me the acceptance and love that I desired was what I would do. But I never took a moment to look at me and learn to love and accept myself. So that's what led me into the life that I have now, which is dramatically different from the life I lived from 15 to about 34 years old. So it's been a journey. (laughs) Wow. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I mean, I think it's really important that you share your story because I think it's so easy for somebody to look at somebody who uses drugs or substances or stripping and to be so judgmental. I mean, it's so rare that we get to hear this kind of story of the self-worth issues, the things that led up to this. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's so, so important. You've been through so much. What steps did you take to start turning your life around and to work on your self-worth, to work on your self-esteem? The first thing I did was ask for help, which is very difficult, especially if you've been through even like half the things I've been through. It's it's very hard to admit that you need help, right? Because you've just been surviving. Like, you know, you got this, you got this. You just keep suppressing and going. So that was really hard, but that was what opened my eyes up more because when I, I went to my husband um, and we had only been married like a year or so, so I put him through hell. So <laughs> I'm so grateful he's still here and was willing to help me be who I am now. You know, he told me to, you know, that I needed to start looking at myself differently. Like I needed to learn to accept who I am. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that, obviously. So I started journaling, writing down my feelings. I started to actually write my life story and just really start to pinpoint what were the moments and what were the lessons that I learned in those moments, figuring out what I will and will not accept in my life. So creating boundaries, figuring out what my values are, figuring out, you know, what types of people I wanted to surround myself with. You know, did I want to be around people who went out and drank. And I had to make that hard choice of no, because I don't want to drink anymore. It only brings me bad scenarios and bad people, places and things. And just really changing how I was living. 
going from playing victim and always being like, why is this happening to me? And switching that narrative in my brain to, well, right, it's happening, but what choices did I make to allow this to occur? So switching the way I talk to myself, using, you know, while in self-development and using affirmations to help solidify how I think about myself. And I am not perfect. I'm still a work in progress. Um, But those things are what I did to start getting me to the point where I could see myself and accept, at least accept myself enough to do better things and make better choices. Okay. Oh, great. Thank you for sharing that. And can you share a little bit about how long you've been sober for and what helped you to become sober and to overcome your addictions? So I've been off of pills, um, for a very long time. I couldn't tell you it's it's probably, well, I'll say it's been since I left my one ex. So about five years, it's been a long time since I've touched pills in a abusive way. Alcohol, it's been about three years and this is the first time I'm telling anybody this. So, (laughs) uh, but I was prescribed medical marijuana and I had been using it for a long time and this is week two. I have not used marijuana for two weeks now. So, oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You. That's amazing. Thank you. And I'm not against medical marijuana. It definitely helped me get to a place where I could put it down. I think that there is, I believe there's a lot of good with marijuana. But for me, it was becoming something that was my crutch. It was just becoming my replacement for alcohol, it was my replacement for the pills and things that I used to do. So it was masking everything that I I need to feel my emotions in order to work through them. Besides that, like what I did was with alcohol, it was literally like, I just can't anymore. The thought of drinking would make me sick because I knew that who I became when I drank was ugly. I would, you know, say things and do things that I know weren't who I wanted to be. Uh, As far as pills go, that was the hardest. And I didn't go to NA or, you know, anything like that. I just kind of started to just not make them available to me. So that was cutting off ties with people who I would go to for things like that. That was literally moving my life not too, too far from home. I couldn't because of my kids, but moving out of the area where I was using, choosing to let go of it. Then with marijuana, since that's a more recent thing, I wouldn't, I don't like to call marijuana a drug uh, um, because I do believe it has its medical place. But like I said, for me, it was becoming an addiction. It was becoming a crutch and it's still a work in progress. So when I feel the desire, I don't, I just don't have it. I don't go and buy it. I make sure to, when I'm feeling the need to numb myself that I talk to my husband or I find something to preoccupy myself with, whether that be work, a good book, redirecting my thought process so that I can get through that feeling of, oh, I just want to use to, okay, now I'm ready. I can deal with this emotion that I've been experiencing that triggered me to want to use. When you were eliminating all these different substances from your life at these different times, did you go through withdrawal at all with any of them? No. Um, fortunately my alcoholism was more binge drinking. I was not like your typical all day, every day alcoholic. It was more of if I was in a situation where I was drinking, I was drinking. (laughs) Um, as far as pills go, I'm fortunate as well that opiates were not, 
a huge part of my addiction. It was more or less the um, benzodiazepines. Um, but when I gave that up, I didn't go through like your typical withdrawal. It was more, it wasn't a physical withdrawal. It's a mental withdrawal. So it was like, well, what do I do now? Like if I'm not using, what do I do with my emotions? Right? Like what, what do I do? You know? So it was more of like that mental anguish that I went through that depression, almost, I would like to call it of an anxiety, um, and finding new ways to, to deal with those things rather than pick up a drug or drink a bottle of wine. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And can you speak a little to the relationships in your life? Because you've had so many toxic relationships in your life, people that weren't there for you, people that were bad for you to now being married. Um, you know, so can you talk about that, how you shifted the types of relationships that you have in your life? Yeah. So relationships have always been hard and they still are, uh, currently in my life, I choose to only have my husband, my mom, and my mother-in-law as my like support system. Um, I don't have a big group of friends. Um, because when I was in active addiction, because my addiction was also to people and the whole lifestyle of addiction, I, I liked the fastness. The people were always around. You know, there's always people. And I feel like I, I attracted these toxic people because deep down I was feeling like that's what I deserved. So if someone good came into my life back then, because I'm sure there were, there were plenty of people back then who probably tried to pull me out of that. There was a um, guy, I'll never forget this, um, when I was using cocaine and he was actually kind of dating my friend. I don't, I don't know what they're actually up to, but remember him sitting in our place and telling me, Amanda, you're so intelligent. Why are you doing this to yourself? And I remember it, but it didn't mean anything to me in the moment. Like it was nice to hear, but it didn't change, you know, what I was doing because I didn't feel the same way about me. In my experience, it was changing how I feel about myself by doing the work, the hard stuff, going to therapy and talking about my emotions openly and being raw and honest with myself and others who I am around so that I'm attracting better people because we tend to attract what we feel we are, right? So if you feel you're a shit person, if you feel that way, you will attract shit people. Not everyone who was toxic to me is necessarily a bad person. That doesn't mean that all these people I've encountered throughout my active addiction and lifestyle that I was in are, are innately bad people. They were just toxic for me. So it was learning that separating myself from that and learning to love me and accept me. And I've noticed this great change was, yeah, you know, I'm in the online space and I have online friends, so I guess I shouldn't discount them. I have people that I talk to in the online space, but in real life, I have to be very careful. I have boundaries now. I don't just let everybody and their mother into my life on a personal level, right? I keep people at a distance until I know okay, I can trust this person, right? And that takes a long time. See, before I would just be like, here's my whole life story and I'm really depressed and I have all these problems and I suffered from drug addiction and I would just let it all out of the bag within like 24 hours of meeting someone and no wonder why people took advantage of me, right? I made it really easy. So it's learning to keep my boundaries up, so to speak, or I don't want to call them walls because you can still see through them. But at the same time, 
it was the change of, okay, I'm not just going to lay out my entire life to everyone who encounters me, right? Because that's allowing them to say, oh, well, now I know all your dirty laundry and now I know how your brain operates. So I can use that against you. And there are people in this world who will do that. And I know that from experience of being that person. So it's learning to, for me, it was learning how to be okay with a normal relationship and not just divulging all of my dirty laundry to everyone who encountered me because I was so desperate, right? That's desperation. I was desperate for that acceptance and love. But now that I've learned to love and accept me and be comfortable in my own skin, even though I have bad days where I'm not, I know now that I deserve to not have to do that to make friends. I don't need to tell all to be accepted, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. And I think that's something that people really struggle with. A lot of people are really longing for that love and acceptance. And I think that's mm -hmm. very easy to do is just to put it all out there. And then, you know, you attract the wrong kind of people. So thank you for sharing that. Cause I think yeah. that's really something that a lot of people can relate to for sure. It could be a very lonely world. And especially with us being so digital, you know, I yeah. think it's a lot of people are kind of living online and we're missing those in-person connections that we're really longing for. So I think yes. that's definitely something that a lot of people are struggling with right now. You mentioned that one of your main supports now is your mother. Can you speak mm -hmm. to that? How you rebuilt your relationship with her when it comes to my mom like when I when my parents divorced like I said I came home from freshman year of high school and she was just gone and I was there with my dad I remember like being really confused and then at first it was okay because she actually uh, moved in with my grandmother but when she met her abuser it was like she completely like it was she wasn't my mother anymore um she had a psychotic break um, she was on, they were putting her on all these medications that were making her out of her mind. This man was, you know, taking her to bars. She was drinking. Um, he was really, um, very highly abusive. It couldn't have been that much longer after my parents divorced. Cause the kid I was dating, it was, I was still 15 and we go to an amusement park with my boyfriend and my mom and her boyfriend. My mom was calling for me. And I like, didn't hear her and I was a teenager so like when I did hear her she was like yelling I was like what you know like a typical teenager and I guess her boyfriend got very upset and made a threat to hurt me and we quickly left the amusement park I remember being completely confused I had no idea what was going on and I never heard from my mom again after that moment for a very for years um here and there like she would pop up uh like I said you know if she was like leaving him she would contact me like to help her leave him, but then she'd go back. It was like this constant, you know, that's the only time I would really see her was when she wasn't with him. But back then I didn't understand what was actually happening. Uh, and I remember at one point she was at my grandmother's and uh, she was very upset. And I remember going, mom, like I have a date tonight. Like, I don't want to deal with this, you know, <laughs> just being a typical teenager. And she literally lost, she lost her shit. Um, she told me she was going to kill herself, dumped pills all out over the counter. Um, it was very traumatic. And that was, I think that was probably the last time I saw her until I was around 19. So it was a couple of years there where, you know, we didn't have a relationship. 
but I don't remember how exactly we reconciled. I just remembered she was not there and then she was back and I kind of just went with it. She has apologized to me for, you know, leaving me and putting me through the things that I was put through at a young age. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't hold it against her. I did. Uh, there are certain moments where I'll get upset and think about it, but I know my mom was only doing what she knew how to do in the moment. Like she was protecting me. I can't fault her for protecting me um, from somebody like that. I can't fault her for discovering that she had mental illnesses that were never dealt with. Can't fault her for any of that. Uh, now me and my mom for oh, years now, um, we've been very close, especially after I left my, my most recent ex, we live very, we live like a block apart. Um, I talk to her every week. I know she would love it if I talked to her every single day, but <laughs> I just can't. I don't have the capacity. Um, you know, and I see her as often as I can. And our relationship is, is, is good. It's not perfect. There are moments where she drives me crazy. There's moments where we fight. But I know even when she was in her darkest days, if I called my mom, and I was suffering that she would drop everything and be there for me. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so glad that you guys were able to reconcile your relationship. I know that's yeah. very, very hard for some people. So I I'm sure that took a lot. Yeah, it is hard, you know? And, and like I said too, like there are moments where I'll think about it and I'll get, I can get angry about it. Oh yeah. But I love her too much to hold on to that anger to the point where I don't have a relationship with her. I think that takes a lot of strength because I think it's really hard for people and it's almost easier for them to hang on to that anger and that resentment. I think a lot of people do clutch onto that. So I think that was very brave and strong of you to realize Thanks. that you needed her in that way and wanted to receive that love. If it wasn't for my mom, I probably, I wouldn't have gotten bailed out of jail. I would have been there that whole year waiting to get sentenced because She's who, well, I called my dad first and he told me to, he's the only person who's ever, who's allowed to call me Mandy, but he said, Mandy, you made your bed now lay in it and hung up on me and didn't ask me what happened or anything. Um, but my mother, she's on a fixed income, even back then, you know, she doesn't have much, but she made it happen. You know, yeah, I had to sit in main population and County for a week, but she made it happen. So if it wasn't for her, I would have sat there for a very long time. Wow. And do you have a relationship with your dad at all? Is he in your life at all? No, my dad is not. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Thank yeah. you. Well, Amanda, this has been incredible. I'm, I'm so just happy that you were comfortable sharing your story. And I think it's so important for people to hear. Do you have any words of wisdom or advice for anybody who's gone through anything that you've gone through? Yes. My words of advice are always the same. So if you've heard me talk before, I'm sorry if this is redundant, but I, it needs to be said a million times. No matter what you have been through, you deserve the life you imagine having. You are stronger than you think, and your past does not have to define your future. You don't have to stay in shame, and you can do good things. I know it took me over a decade, over a decade to figure that out. And I just hope that one person will hear this who hasn't spent a decade and pick up and say, you know what? I am worth it. Even though I may have a criminal record, even though I've done drugs, 
even though I have mental illness, whatever it is, you're more than worth it and you are enough. Oh, great. Yeah. That's really powerful. Amanda, thank you so much. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah. So I have a podcast. It's called the let good things in show. It's on all streaming platforms for podcasts. If you're on Facebook, I'm at Amanda Marie Acker. That's my personal Facebook page. You can certainly send me a friend request. And if you're on Instagram, I um, have been dabbling in reels, which have become my (laughs) new obsession. So if you want to see me uh, make funny reels and some inspirational reels, follow me at, at the let good things in show. Oh, perfect. Everyone. I'm going to put all of that in the show notes, go follow Amanda and check out her podcast. Amanda, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot thank Amanda enough for coming on and being so open and vulnerable about her story. It's such a powerful one, and I think that she is so inspiring and can help so many people. I'm so grateful she came on my show to speak with me. I just know anyone who hears her story is going to gain a lot from it and have hope that they too can take control of their lives and live the life that they want. Amanda, thank you so much. Everyone go check out Amanda. Her link tree is in my show notes, so definitely go check out all she has to offer and check out her podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I will talk to you next week with another incredible guest.